Well, one more good morning to you. My name is Carl Blackburn. I'm the campus pastor of the Wesley Foundation right here at Georgia Southern University. Uh, We serve the students at East Georgia, Ogeechee Tech, and Georgia Southern. While our name says the, the Wesley Foundation at Georgia Southern University, we love the students any student, and actually we have a number of young men and women who, who aren't even a part of college life. It's just they're in that age demographic. And so our heart is to love on men and women and to welcome them into a family of believers. Well, that's what today's message is all about. It takes a family. Uh, Pastor Bill wanted me to make sure to tell you this morning that uh, we didn't goof up and read the same scripture as last week. Um, it, it's intentional. It was the same scripture from last week, and last week, as you remember, if you were here, it was about stewardship. Well, in a sense, uh, today's about stewardship as well. It's just with a little bit of a different twist. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It's an interesting scripture, I think. It sounds to me like Joshua is saying, listen, I don't know. I don't really care what the rest of you people around me believe or what gods you serve. But me and my people are choosing to serve God. Now, I don't think he's saying I don't really care. I think he's saying this. The Lord is saying this because he's entreating people. To, to choose one or the other. It's that, like that hot or cold scripture. Choose one or the other. Either choose the gods of your ancestors or choose Yahweh, Lord God. But for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Some of the Israelites had no, ba- no doubt remained faithful to Yahweh, if even only Joshua. Clearly, however, many and maybe even most of the Israelites had taken idols into their households that represented the gods of the people of the lands where they crossed through. Now, some of them probably carried the gods from Egypt that they uh, that the Egyptians had worshipped. And some of these Israelites, no doubt, had, had begun to worship those same gods as well. That's, I think, why Jehovah God, Yahweh, chose that time and that place to deliver the people from Egypt so that they would be reminded who the one true God really is. But regardless of whether they took the idols from Egypt or they collect them along the way, there's interesting stories throughout the Old Testament, aren't there, of of them creating their own gods. Uh, It happened pretty early on after they left Egypt, in fact, where Moses' own brother leads the people into uh, creating an idol, a calf, to whom they would worship. Well, Pastor Bill might have given you a little bit of uh, historical context last week about Joshua, but I want to I want to tell you a little bit more. Um, it's a good time to to get a reminder of who Joshua really was. So Joshua enters the biblical picture in the Old Testament book of Exodus. It was shortly after the Israelites escaped the Pharaoh's army crossing the Red Sea. And the Israelites had begun complaining already as soon as they crossed the Red Sea about the the comforts, quote-unquote, they were leaving behind. They seemed to forget that they had been enslaved and, and beaten and mistreated for 400 years and that the comforts probably weren't that comfortable when they were there. 
God had already responded to their complaining by providing quail and manna, enough for them to eat every day. And now they were complaining about not having enough water. So here's enters uh, the character of Joshua, our main, our main guy today. This is Exodus 17, 1 through 14. I'm going to read it quickly because I've got a lot of scripture for you. So here goes. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of Sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses replied, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, Why did you bring us out of Egypt to make us as our children and livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, What am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, Go out in front of the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock, and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the place Massah and Meribah, because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? So here comes Joshua. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites of Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, Choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with a sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it, because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. So, no doubt... The people on either side of, of Moses, had they not held his arms up, they would have lost, right? Nonetheless, uh, Joshua was the guy on the battlefield. He was the one who was right on the front lines fighting with the Amalekites. Who sends out somebody they don't trust? N nobody does. Moses sends out his best man. He sends out Joshua. The next scene where we see Joshua in the Old Testament is, is landmark. It marks the beginning of the law of Moses, Exodus 24, 12 through 14. The Lord said to Moses, come up to me with, on the mountain and stay here, and I will give you the tablets of stone with the law and commandments I have written for their instruction. Then Moses set out with Joshua, his aid, and Moses went up on the mountain of God. He said with the, to the elders, wait here for us until we come back to you. Aaron and Hur are with you and anyone involved in a dispute can go to them. So Joshua and Moses head up the mountain. Then the Lord said to Moses, Leave this place, and you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, and go up to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. 
I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you. On the way, when the people heard these distressing words, they began to mourn and no one put on any ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, tell the Israelites, you are a stiff-necked people. If I were to go with you even for a moment, I might destroy you. Now take off your ornaments and I will decide what to do with you. So the Israelites stripped off their ornaments at Mount Horeb. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped, each at the entrance to their tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. So two scriptures here were, they're they're huge. Uh, Moses takes this one young man, his trusted aide, up to the mountain to hear the voice of God, to hear him speak the, the law that would be set out forever. It's pretty big. And interestingly, as I guess as, as Joshua walked with Moses, he, he, he learned faithfulness to the Lord God Almighty. And, and even when Moses would leave the tent of meeting, Joshua stayed. Joshua stayed. Faithful servant. In the Old Testament book of Numbers, chapter 13 when at God's command, Moses chooses a representative from each of the 12 tribes of Israel to sneak into the promised land to take inventory. Numbers 3.8 tells us that he was from the tribe of Ephraim and his name was Hoshea, which means salvation. He was the son of Nun. In Numbers 13.16, an interesting statement is made. It's written as almost like it's a side note of the author that Moses changed Hoshea's name to Yahashua, Joshua, or Jehoshua, which means Jehovah is salvation. Yeah. Already, his name already meant salvation, but Moses renamed him to state clearly before all people who would eventually follow Joshua Jehovah is salvation. No man is salvation. Jehovah is salvation. So he's one of 12 who are sent out. You know this story. I'll, I'll uh, paraphrase this scripture. The, the 12 tribes uh, representatives went out and all but two of them came back and said, we're afraid of these people. There's no way we could conquer them. They're huge. We're like grasshoppers to them. They're going to squash us. And Caleb actually was the one who responded. So in a way, it's, it, it almost sounds like, where, where's Joshua in the picture? You have to read a few verses down. This is in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. But Caleb responds and say, says to all the people, wait a minute, 
Has the Lord God not delivered these people into our hands? Why should we not go down into the land? And then Joshua reiterates the picture. And when they're talking to the people, Joshua and Caleb, they rip their clothes as a sign of, oh my goodness, you people are ridiculous. You're stubborn. God's going God's to discipline us. But Joshua stays straight and narrow. So at the end of this scripture, uh, it says, because of you, the Lord became angry with me. This is Moses talking with me also and said, you shall not enter it either, but your assistant, Joshua, son of Nun, will enter it. Encourage him because he will lead Israel to inherit it. Joshua is probably one of the most faithful guys in, in, in all of scripture outside of Jesus, of course. Right? I only found one scripture in the, in the Old Testament that questions, that puts Joshua's character just a little bit in question, but then you realize he's a young guy and he just kind of speaks up a little too quickly. It's when, uh, it's when the cloud came over this group of people and 70 people and they all prophesied. But two of them were missing. And in the village, they prophesied. And, and, and Joshua was just, it's unheard of for people to prophesy anyway, outside of Moses. And, and so he said, Moses, you should stop this. And Moses says a very Christ-like thing. He says, no, this is a good thing, that they should prophesy. And then Joshua kind of says, sort of, I'm sorry. And he's all good from there. Well, I think it's really interesting that Joshua is one of the only true faithful characters that we read about in the Old Testament. And that his name, Yehoshua, or Yeshua, is the same Hebrew pronunciation for Jesus. Yeshua. The one true faithful. Jesus brings in this picture. The reason why I wanted to share this with you is because Jesus is the one who starts bringing in the picture of of what family really looks like. It's important for us to to read this scripture from Joshua in the beginning that says, "Listen, as for me and my house, we're gonna we're gonna praise the Lord." But the the question is, what does house mean? Who is house? So I looked up the Hebrew word for house that he's talking about here, and sure enough, it it means house. He's talking about a a dwelling place, a, a location where people live. So he's saying, as for me and the people who live in my household, we are going to worship the Lord. Well, that's great. How many of us here this morning grew up in a household where where moms and dads follow Christ? I'd say it's an increasing thing in our culture where where we uh, that's not the case. You probably found that you had to have your own faith, and that's not to say anything horrible about any of our parents, but at the end of the day, we had to come and learn our own faithfulness. Joshua had to come and learn his own faithfulness to the Lord. And to make a stand and say, well, here you sit this morning, you all. Joshua was saying this, listen, I could be anywhere else, but today I'm going to tell you, for me and my house, we're going to serve God. This is where we're going to be. And I think he was speaking far more than the context of a church building, clearly. He was talking about community, wasn't he? He was talking about in, the, in each everyday setting. Well, Jesus uh, creates this 
additional dynamic where Joshua might have been talking about primarily his household in a particular dwelling, but, but he was forecasting something that was much greater, that Yeshua, Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, would speak out over people. From Matthew twelve forty six through 50, it says, while Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, Jesus, your mother and brothers are standing outside waiting to speak to you. He replied to him, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. We uh, at the Wesley Foundation, one of our one of our areas where we're really pressing in is for us to, is to be a multicultural place of worship. For for ten years or more, I, I just had this thing on my heart. Before, well, before I came to it's probably fifteen years. Well, before I came to Georgia Southern Wesley Foundation. I, my heart, I want to hear the tongues of every nation prayed in worship. It's just, it's my desire. It's what I want to hear. I, I feel like God created the breadth and depth of humanity to be the color and the size and the beauty that it is for a reason. And for me, I just, y'all, I just want to, I want to experience that. I want to hear somebody else praying to the same Lord God that I'm praying to in a different language, knowing that we're praying to the same God. I just have a heart for that. I want to, I want to hear that. So, it's it's a bit of a wrestle. Um, we're we're really trying and sh- and stretching out and and uh, we um, we do some simple things. We take students shopping uh, um, once a week because uh, most of the international students who we work with don't have vehicles, so we just pick them up on Fridays. We take them to the, to Walmart and uh, they get to shop for a little bit. We we do a free lunch for international students on Tuesdays at the Wesley House and uh, churches. Actually, y'all provided the Pittman Park, in case you didn't know this, provided the meal last last Tuesday. Thank you, Pittman Park, by the way. Um, it's about 50, 50% Americans and 50% internationals. Well, that's the way we want it. We want to we wanna be people who come together. Um, it's, it's really a pretty beautiful thing. But when I talk in international students, they tell me some pretty, give me some in- pretty interesting pictures of their time here in the States. They, they say that, you know, in our culture, and this is most people, now Europeans, a little bit different, but in most other cultures, they said, in our culture, we're, we're so used to spending time with other people. In fact, in, in this Middle Eastern culture, the reason why it would have been a broad scope for Joshua to say, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord, is because there are probably multiple families of his family living in the same house. Kids, grandkids, you know, some aunts and uncles kind of scattered out in there. Well, that's still the case in most cultures. Our culture is really the only culture that really has separated and each person has their own house. So, so my two next door neighbors, Robbie on one side, Robbie and Kelly on one side, and, and, uh, Merville Cumberbatch from the other side. Robbie grew up in South Georgia and, and Merville's from Barbados and, and we're, we come from three different perspectives, but it's interesting how much God continues to bring us together and we learn a little bit what household is supposed to look like. So Merville is out of town right now and, and I needed to, to, uh, blow the, uh, all of the cuttings off of my sidewalk and stuff. And I don't have a, I don't have a blower. Merville's got this great gas blower. So I text Merville up. He had just texted me and said, Hey, I'm in Toronto until next Tuesday. I said, well, Merville, can I borrow your blower? He said, sure, Carl, you know where the key is. Just go through my house, grab the blower, just lock things up when you're out. 
Every now and then when, when uh, the dynamics shift a little bit, Merville and I will have dinner together or Merville will come over and he'll bring some things that he's made from, from, from his cooking culture. And, and Kristen, uh, when she's making some extra chili or whatever the case is, and um, we'll take some food over to, to Merville. Well, y'all, that's not exactly it. But it's getting there a little bit. There's ultimatum. Or, I mean, there's, there's an ulterior motive, I mean. The ulterior motive is not somehow that I would be able to trick Merville or trick Robbie. The ulterior motive is, man, I want, I want my love to show. I want the love of Jesus to show. And if it comes through food, great. Don't families eat together? Well, maybe. So, some used to. That's why we do this lunch on Tuesdays is to bring the, the, the feeling of fellowship even American students who are away from home, they, they, they're not sitting at their family dinner table. They don't have mom and dad around. So for us, our mission uh, at the Wesley Foundation is to offer Christ to college students, to teach, encourage, and challenge them to become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Well, our understanding to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ has got to be in the context of community. I, 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 I cannot follow Christ the way I want and need to follow Christ without community. Have you tried? Have you tried to just do it on your own? Well, I know you have. You're human. you got the same flesh on you that I do. How's it work for you? You've been able to, to keep uh, great conversation with the Lord. You, you've been able to hold back sin, those sins that might have beset you for years. You've been able to conquer those in Jesus' name because you know that's what the Scripture says. Romans 6 says we're no longer slaves to sin. Just like God set the Israelites free from Egypt from 400 years of slavery, Jesus set us free from sin. It says it. It's in in Romans 6. Check it out. We are no longer slaves to sin. We have been set free from sin. Well, y'all, listen, I've tried and tried and tried to get rid of some sin, and I cannot do it on my own. But in the context of community, in the context of family, it takes a family. There are so many directions we, I could have gone out at today with this message, but because I'm coming from the context of a group of people who, who some of them grew up with incredible families, incredible parents who truly discipled them. But most of the young men and women that we encounter don't even have, know what the word disciple really means. Disciple doesn't mean just learning a bunch of stuff about God. Disciple means walking through life together, life on life. I go to Life Stream Church. We call them life groups. You have small groups here at Pittman Park. You have Sunday school classes here at Pittman Park. You have a youth group and children's ministry here at Pittman Park that are designed to offer the same family, the same community that this is talking about. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Well, um, there's something to just calling ourselves a part of of a family. We can call ourselves Christian, and that can mean, well, I basically believe in this basic understanding of who God is and who Christ is. But when you look at the Scriptures, when I look at the Scriptures, and, and Jesus paints the picture of, wait a minute, those are, those, Chris, you're my brother. Fred, you're my brother. You, 
Those of you who do the will of my father, you are my brothers and my sister and my mothers. Man, don't we need that? I need about 10 spiritual fathers to help me through my life. For real. Some of them who switch me just a little bit and some of them who give me bigger hugs. I need a little combo, right? You get that? You know what I'm talking about? We need a little... My granny kept the switch on top of her piano. Always ready. She just threatened. She just threatened. She never had to use it. Praise the Lord. That short little lady, she could have whopped me. We need these... We, I need you. We need people in our lives. I want to, before I introduce my friend Scott, um, who's going to share a testimony with you, I want to, I want to share a couple of uh, quick more scripture. This is from Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. And, and calling ourselves Christian, you, you know this, I'm, I'm, I'm preaching to the literal choir and the proverbial choir, that, um, to, um, to be a part of, of, of family means to, um, to choose to not live in isolation. Because in our culture, we can live isolated lives pretty quickly, pretty easily. It's to choose to not live in isolation, to choose to live in community. Do you know in, in the New Testament, there's not one single example of healing that happens in isolation? Somebody out in the middle of the wilderness just prays to God and all of a sudden they're healed. There, there's no story of, of that in the New Testament. Every healing comes in the context of community. Even if it's just two people, it comes in the context of community. This is from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 25. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, Jesus, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more so as you see the day approaching. That's tough, y'all. We got our own schedules. There's work and there's kids and there's taking care of, of ill family members. There, there's a lot, but you know what? That counts too. That's, that's, part of, that's part of kingdom work. It's part of family. It's part of the, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord, we'll serve each other. You know, serving, being a follower of Christ probably needs to start in the house, doesn't it? In our homes with our spouses or even if you live by yourself, you know, don't kick your dog or cat. It's, it's, you know, starting off with a loving nature where you are. Where you are. It takes effort to be in community, doesn't it? Y'all, I'm a preacher. I've been doing some sort of ministry since 1991. And y'all, there are some times on Sunday mornings where I'm like, Lord Jesus, could I just leave him? Could I just, just leave him? I don't want to go church. Some Wednesday nights for Wesley, I'm like, Lord, can I just go to a movie? You know, I just want to be to go by myself to a movie. Um, that may sound horrible to you. But, but honestly, I think that's kind of where we all are. 
The question is, what do we do? do? Do we do that? Or do we push through? Do we push through because community brings life and health and wholeness and healing? We can't serve the Lord without each other. We can try. You're going to burn out. You can burn out. Would you take somebody along with you? Say, hey, listen, I need to go, I need to go take some food to this person over here. And you say, well, I should just call somebody else to go with me. And they go with you all of a sudden. You, you come back and say, oh, wow, that was a lot easier. I feel like it's life-giving. There's a lot of examples I could give you. Um, I'd like to give you a real-life example. His name is Scott Williams. He's my brother. Um, Scott and I have known each other for a few years now, and uh, um, truth, truth be told, um, he is a, uh, how old are you, 20, what, 21? Um, he's a 23-year younger African-American version of Carl Blackburn. I'm a 23-year-older white version of Scott. Um, we, we for, no lie, no lie, we, we are wired so similar, he'll tell you, we are wired so similarly, it's ridiculous. I mean, God absolutely had notion of family when he brought Scott and me together. Well, I'd say, I'd say to you that that's the same context with, uh, with the rest of our community, with Adam and with Ben. We're Ben. Um, but Scott, Scott is willing to kind of share a little bit of his testimony with you. So Scott, come on up and, and share with folks for a few minutes. Well, hello there. I am Scott. Um, I guess usually when we're supposed to be speaking, we're like, oh, welcome here to, oh, it's not Wesley, it's another church. So thank you for having me here. Um, yeah, when Carl asked me uh, to speak about family, I thought it was kind of funny, for one thing. Um, I come from a family that uh, is definitely God-chosen, but at times not what I would have chosen. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, not saying anything bad about my parents or my family and everything like that, but uh, I've learned a whole lot in my time in Jesus. I never grew up in a, in a church, per se. My parents made sure that I had some basis of what it meant to be a Christian, but um, it didn't really take hold in my heart until I was 18 and came to college. Um, as I came to college, I got saved, uh, actually with my, I have two older brothers and I was saved with my oldest brother on the same day as he got baptized. I felt the call to get baptized as well. So Jesus. Um, and so I started off my journey in Christ. Um, I was never really close to my family. Um, it's kind of ironic because like a lot of people ask like, Oh, it's like your brother's a campus minister. I'm like, Oh yeah, yeah. He's a part of God. It's like, Oh, are you guys close? I'm like, fine, close. So um, as I was just living out my life in uh, college and everything, I was just, you know, seeking after the Lord because for just about 18 years before that, I had no notion of it. I was living out every pleasure that I wanted to, um, had no rules in my own life except don't get caught. And uh, <laughs> it, it worked out in a way to really open the door for God to just save my life and really take a hold of my heart. And uh, what was great about that is, like, I, I started out in ministry, and I have a huge heart for ministry. Um, right now, I'm in international student ministry for Wesley. But before that, I was at a different campus uh, campus ministry. And um, in that campus ministry, I saw a lot of great things happen. But I was on leadership for a while, and I just felt the call um, on my life to really step down. I felt like my heart wasn't right. I felt like I was supposed to step down and just not be a part of 
um, the campus or the campus ministry. And uh, as I did, like I went through this time of such upheaval in my own heart and such anger, such frustration, because I had such high hopes, and yet I felt like I disappointed myself. I felt like I disappointed everyone else. I felt like a failure. I felt so much upheaval in my own heart, and um, all the while, like, I went through this dry place. I felt like really Abraham in the desert and how he was just seeking after the promises of God, and yet he had no idea where he was going. I felt the same exact way, and this was all my junior year, um, and all the while, I kept going to Wesley, and it was really great because... Um, just like how Carl's saying, he's a 23-year older white version of me. It's like, uh, what was so great about me and Carl's relationship in the beginning stages was that I had never had someone in my life who could take all the crap that I had and handle it. You know, like I thought I was just one of those bad children that just, oh, you tell too much of your story. Everyone's going to be like, whoa, this kid was bad. Oh my gosh, I can't be around him. But Carl took my worst of the worst moments. I remember actually having a Wesley service here. And one of the um, messages that Carl talked about was forgiveness. And it was forgiveness of the family. Ironically enough, I'm back here speaking about family. Um, and as, ooh, as he was talking about family, he was saying, oh, it's our duty to forgive them. Not because we have that as a good Christian moral, but because Christ forgave us. And so I had such a hard time forgiving my family because, for one thing, I was never close it wasn't a family I would have chosen because I wanted to be closer. I wanted to do this. I wanted, I wanted, I wanted. It all started with me, you know? But Christ had a different plan. And so at the end of it, I was so mad. And, like, I went to my car and I just, like, yelled. I turned up the music as loud as I could so no one hear me. And I just yelled and then came back in and started talking to Carl. And, like, we had this huge session of outside of me just bawling my eyes out and just saying everything and just having everything just pour out before me. And Carl was just like, bring it bring it, you know, like, I'd never had someone say, like, oh, well, don't use that tone, oh, don't say that, don't do this, but he was just like, do what you need to do, and at the end, I'm gonna tell you what Christ says from me to you, and um, it was one of the greatest symbols of family that I'd ever seen, um, and then over time, as I felt God was calling me to Wesley and to leadership in Wesley, just a year later after I came off of leadership, I've seen so many examples within Wesley of how much we have grown as a family in Christ. Um, for an example, I had the other day a young lady come to me, and she found out that I found out of one of her bad habits that she does. Um, and she texted me, and it kind of broke my heart because she texted me and was like, I'm sorry if that changes your opinion of me. I, I'm trying to quit. It's just something I do when I'm nervous, and I'm sorry. Please don't tell anyone I trust you. And it broke my heart because of the first words that she says, I'm sorry if it changes your opinion of me. And for one thing, that shows how much she doesn't know me, because if she knew me, she would know that I've done that habit and many more as well. Like kind of how Paul's like, I'm the worst of the worst. Like I feel that way a lot of the times. And yet on top of that, it broke my heart because she didn't know the love of Christ and the fact that we as a family and as a body of Christ will never judge one another for the sins that we have. For we have done the same in our lives. Sin is sin is sin is sin. It's the same thing. It does not matter in God's eyes. And therefore, it does not matter in my eyes as well. So I just was able to show Christ's love as he showed me. It was just like, girl, there's no reason for me to judge you at all. I would never judge you even if my life depended on it. I want you to know that, hey, we're here for you. I'm here for you. I've done way worse and the same thing that what you're doing. 
and Christ forgave me. He loves you. I love you. And we'll get through this. If you need help, call me, you know? And like just seeing her joy the next day and like how big our hug was the time after that when I saw her again was just amazing to see. Um, Because there's just small things, well, small but big in my mind, uh, things like that that just happen all throughout Wesleyan. It's so great to see. And like that's what family means to me. Not just, oh, I'm going to just act holy because when I first got saved, I started acting holy, knowing that there was sin in my life that I wasn't attacking. And therefore, I put on this facade around other people and fell off my pedestal and everything hit the fan. But family nowadays and my life nowadays is being able to show people my own flaws, being able to show people that I'm not perfect, tell them, proclaim it, you know what I'm saying? And yet, still knowing that Christ loves me and knowing that as he has loved me, I can love someone else. So that if they're ever in need, ever in need of someone to talk to or ever in need of some food for the day or someone just to hang out with and not say a word to, ever in need that God has allowed me to be able to help them as he has helped me. So that's what family's meant to me. That's what Wesley's meant to me. And it's so great to be able to see this every single day that I work for the Lord. So... Thanks for allowing me to share. Awesome. Wow, what a word. What a word. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Uh, one of the things that I think I've learned in my short 44 years of life is that uh, this isn't a convenient thing. It's not about convenience. It's about loving beyond ourselves. Loving beyond our own wounds. You know, we're all wounded healers, right? There's not a one of us who's fixed. So we shouldn't probably wait around until we're fixed before we start welcoming other people into community and loving them into community. There's great sacrifice in it. But um, I want to give you a blessing. Um, This is uh, before the end blessing. I'm going to give you a blessing from Proverbs 11.25. It says, those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. It's a promise. It's not a hope. It's not a, hey, this might happen. Um, Other than um, you hear in Scott's story, I can't, can't tell you what the Lord's telling you to do. can't tell you how you're supposed to live. I tell you, um, I don't know if you know our friend Billy back in the back, but man, that dude's got a heart to serve. Um, and his job, I see it every time I see him. Um, sometimes we mess up. But we come back before the Lord in community. We confess to God and to one another. And the scripture says this is where we find healing. When we confess to one another we find healing and allows us to be able to be family and community. So um, let me pray for us and uh, we'll, we'll uh, send our, sing our closing hymn and uh, go have a chance to live out family outside of these walls. So let's pray together. God, you're good. We praise you, Lord. Uh, we, we honor you, God, because uh, um, I think probably most of us, if, if probably 100% of us in here this morning, 
know that we are too self-centered and um, and and um, isolationist to to really uh, on our own uh, to to really be able to do anything good. But but Christ, because we call you Lord, because we learn to seek you with our whole heart, God, you tell us that you call us temples. You tell us that you come and fill us and move in and through us, and that that our lives become about imitating you and not about doing just everything that um, we think ought to be done, but instead we come before you this morning and ask you, Lord, how do you want to send us out from here this morning? God, how how would you have us be family this morning? Um, And God, would you please remind us that when we start to get discouraged, that we... We have a family that we can draw back into for encouragement and all the more so as we see the day approaching of your return, Jesus. God, teach us to be family. Thank you for Pittman Park United Methodist Church, Lord. Thank you for the family that they've been to the Wesley Foundation at Georgia Southern University. Thank you for the family that they've been to the men and women at Ogeechee Tech, East Georgia, and and, uh, Georgia Southern. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that they, that they do have a grasp on what it, what it means to be family. God, keep growing us, though, Lord. Keep growing us. May we honor you in how we offer ourselves to you, Lord God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.